We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. All right, you got Matthew 25 open? Take that as a strong yes. Wow. What do you expect? What do you expect? Have you ever been asked that? Or maybe you've been asked this, or what, what did you expect? And kind of usually in that very condescending way, what do you think was going to happen? What do you expect? What you expect dictates what you do. What you expect determines what you do. Two kind of hotels you can get. One, you're going on vacation, so you book this nice hotel. You go on to Hotels.com or Expedia or whatever it might be. You look for three, four-star, five-star pool, whole nine yards. So you go to that hotel. You have certain expectations. You want to pull up, and you want a guy to open the door. You want somebody to grab your bags. You want to be offered a cookie. You want maybe a cold beverage to be slipped into your hand. You want uh, your room to be well-prepared. You want it to be clean. You want maybe even a meal ready to go when you get there, depending on when you arrive. I mean, you expect to be handled. I mean, that's the whole reason you're going there is for somebody else to do the stuff you don't want to do at home anymore, at least for the weekend, right? So you go in there and you expect a certain level of treatment, a certain level of luxury and appointment. There's, you know, I got no problem with that. We enjoy those kind of things from time to time, right? There's, then there's another kind of hotel. And you've all met, maybe done this once or twice. Me and a buddy were driving across Texas. That's a big place. I don't know if you're familiar. We were somewhere in West Texas, meaning somewhere between El Paso and Dallas, and that's a big piece of nothing. That, and, and it was sometime in the middle of the night. I, all I know, it was his shift to drive, because we were trying to make it from L.A. to Dallas in one shot, taking turns. And I slapped him and said, your turn to drive, I'm falling asleep. I think I've slept three times. And he said, I can't stay awake, you keep driving. I said, I keep driving, we both die. And so we stayed at that other kind of hotel, which is described as whatever comes next on the freeway, right? And so you pull over, and, and, and this, was, uh, this was, I think, a Motel 6. But had Motel 6 known that this, this motel was a part of their chain, they would, have, they would have renounced this motel. So this motel, you have different expectations. We knew what kind of uh, motel we're getting into, or hotel, or whatever it was. Uh, so when we got out of the truck to go check in, we brought our sleeping bags with us. Because we knew there was no way we were going to get in that bed. We were going to be on the bed, 
But we were going to be in sleeping bags because whatever, that just, no. You know, anybody else stayed in this kind of hotel one time or two? Okay. So, and both of them have their place. This was what two college students wanted to pay, you know, $3 a night or whatever it was. I don't even remember what we paid. Uh, and, and you go into it with certain expectations and based on what you expect determines what you do. Your expectations determine how you prepare for what lies ahead. And that's what this parable is about. It's about understanding what is expected. And then based on what is expected in terms of what's coming in the future, looking at and thinking about, well, what do I do based on what I expect? What do I expect? That's what the parable of the ten virgins is all about. Two quick notes before we dive in. Our message basically has two parts. Number one, the first part is not the parable. It's Matthew 24. Second part is the parable, and that'll be the second half of the message. So if you're really interested in the parable of the ten virgins, you're going to want to save your sleepy time for the first part and stay awake for the second. I'm just letting you know what's going on. Uh, First thing we want to talk about is virgins. In the parable, whether or not these were unmarried women or just young women doesn't, in my opinion, factor into understanding what the parable is going to say. Oftentimes, this word for virgins can mean unmarried women or it can mean young women. As it turns out for the understanding of the parable in this particular case, uh, whether or not it's unmarried women or young women really doesn't have a huge bearing as to what the parable is trying to say. So I just wanted to let you know throughout my explaining the parable, I'm just going to use the term virgin because that's what's in the translation of the Bible I'm using and it's, it's easier uh, that way. But let's understand where this parable is occurring in the teaching of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we're going to actually need to go back to Matthew 24. So the first thing we need to understand about uh, this parable is there is a groom. And in the, in the parable, the groom is a figure of speech for the return of the Lord. And what do we need to expect? The groom is unexpected. What do you expect? The groom is unexpected. All right, so go back if you want to in your copy of the scripture and look at Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, he's talking about the return of the Lord, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. How many people know? No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, son of man, the father only. So since, let's just do the math here real quick. Since, therefore, about that day and hour, no one knows. That means if I went to a bookstore seeking a book telling me when that day and hour is, I will find exactly zero books. Is this correct? No, there's an entire shelf of books telling us when this day and hour is going to be. So far, 100% of them have been uh, incorrect. That might help us to understand something. We need to understand what Jesus is teaching here is the groom is coming, the Lord is returning. When is that going to be? I have no idea. Who knows when it's going to be? The Father alone knows. When do you want it to be? Jesus tells us. Look at John chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. He's not talking about the return of the Lord in particular, but it helps us look at what's going on in the human heart. So Jesus was going around in Galilee. This is John chapter 7. He would not uh, go about in Judea. If you flip to the back of your Bible. If you look at the map, Galilee is the Sea of Galilee up in the northern part of Israel. Judea, you can basically think around Jerusalem, okay, which is down the southern part of Israel. So he's going around Galilee, and he wouldn't go down to Judea because the Jews 
were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' uh, feast of booths was at hand. The feast of booths. And you have to say it. It's a really hard word to say. Have you ever said plural for booth? Booths. It sounds like booze. It's not booze. It's booths. It's very complicated to say. But this is a big shindig. This is one of the three major feasts. This is a big deal. And uh, the feast of booths was going on, and his brothers meaning those born of Mary as well, said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. No one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed him. Can you believe that? This is what Jesus says to them about his timing, and it applies uh, to where we're going in this message. Here's what it says. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, your time is always here. When do we want the day of the Lord? Right now. Anybody? Right now. Let's do it. That's our time. And Jesus is saying, my time is according to the time schedule of the purposes of the Father, and it is intended to bring the greatest glory to Him and the greatest good to those who are called to His name. But my time will be done when my time is done. For you, it's always the right time. When's the best time for the return of the Lord? For us, let's get it on. For him, at the right time is when it is. So what do we expect? We need to understand the return of the Lord, or as we're going to see in the parable later, the groom's return is unexpected. Or we should maybe say it this way. Jesus' return is late. It's not late by his standard. It might be late based on what we would prefer. His return is delayed. It comes later than you might have expected. It comes later than you might have expected. All right, let's look at a couple of verses in Matthew 24 just to set the context. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36. Uh, we looked at it there, but let's read a couple of more uh, verses. Matthew 24, 36. Concerning that day, no one knows the hour, not even the angels or heaven or the Son, Father only. Verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, so he's making a comparison here between the days of the flood and the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What are the similarities that he is trying to draw our attention to? He is saying the similarities is this. The day, in the days of Noah's day, they were just doing their normal routine. Going to work, going on vacation, doing weddings, doing funerals, eating, drinking, having a good time. How did they know something was wrong? Their sandals were wet. That's how they, this is what, it's sort of saying until the day of the flood, everybody said, normal day, yeah, Noah's still building his ark, whatever. Let's go to the bar. Let's go to the restaurant. Let's schedule a wedding for next week, not knowing next week is going to be a high humidity situation. So the comparison with these days is on the, the day of the return of the Lord. That's how, but that's what's going to be happening. Everybody just going about their normal business, finally having arrived at the conclusion that that day is not really coming. That day, the ship sailed on that, and that day is not really coming. The opening to The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite movies, also one of my favorite books. The narrator begins the movies anyway, 
uh, with this line, one of my favorite lines of many in those films. And uh, the narrator says this, Things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend, and legend became myth. And this is what is happening over time about the day of the Lord. It's happening even in our time that began at the very beginning. Over the course of time, things that should not have been forgotten, the historical testimony of the eyewitness accounts of those who saw the risen Savior has turned into, over the course of time, merely a heartwarming legend to remind us everybody gets second chances. And then over time, that legend is turning into myth. It's nothing more than an Easter bunny or a wish upon a star, and suddenly... It has passed out of any kind of hope that the Lord will actually return. It is in that kind of context that the day of the Lord will occur. Everybody will be going along. It's not as though we are unaware of his return. It's we have finally put it into a category of the Easter money, myth, and legend. People will be living their days as usual. Then the groom will arrive and everybody, in our perspective, he is late and he is delayed And that is exactly the context of his return. What should we expect about the return of the groom, the return of the Lord? His return will be unexpected to the degree that most will be caught unawares. Okay, look down at verse 46 of Matthew 24. We're going to kind of skip around. And I know I'm just kind of picking verses here, but I just simply don't have time to go through two or three whole chapters of the Bible here. Uh, We went through Matthew was that, two or three years ago? Those are probably still online. So if you want to go through these in detail, you can go hit up those YouTube videos. All right, Matthew 24, 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. What is he doing? Tending to the master's household. Being a good steward of the master's household. Blessed is the servant who is being a good steward of the master's household on the day the master returns. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions but if that wicked servant says to himself my master is delayed and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards that master on that servant on the day of his return when it is unexpected uh, will bring about great judgment so here's what we need to understand second context of this parable of the virgins is the blessed servant recognizes the master is delayed, recognizes he comes at an unexpected time, so in diligence maintains uh, faithfulness to the master at all times so that on the day of his return, the master finds him diligent about the master's business. So in the delay, the faithful servant stays diligent, knowing that the return could happen at any time. The faithful servant doesn't allow history to turn into legend, to turn into myth. He says, it doesn't matter that the master is delayed, the master is late. What matters is faithfulness upon his return, and the only way for that to occur is to always be faithful. When I was a kid, I was given chores before my parents would get home from work. And their job was sweep the kitchen, clean the bathrooms, mow the yard, whatever the job might be for that day. And it needs to be done when? Before I get home. You get on the phone, do this. Okay, when's it going to be done? Before you get home. Got it. Click. When are we going to do that job? One of the kids' job is to stand post looking out the window for seeing the car as far down the street as possible. 
so that we could wait and wait and wait and wait and get that job done when we saw the car return it, okay? Jesus doesn't give us any heads up like that. Nobody can be posted so we can do whatever we want until his return. The only way to be found faithful on the day of his return is to be faithful how many days? All of the days until that day. And that's, the, that's what he's drawing our hearts to uh, here. Okay, let's go back. Let's back it up. Again, we're still just in Matthew 24. We haven't even gotten to the parable yet. We might not get to the parable till 3. Okay? Verse 43. Again, talking about a master of the house, but in this regard, it's more about security. But know this, that if the master of the house had, had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you've got to be ready. Okay, you go home this afternoon, you get a text message. And it's a message from a thief. So I just wanted to let you know tonight at 2 a.m., I'm going to break into your house and take, steal your new 4K TV. Right? Anybody know what a 4K TV is? It's expensive, I think. It sounds expensive. It's got the number 4K. That's probably the price. What would you do if a thief sent you a text and said, I'm going to break into your house at 2 a.m. to steal your new TV? You would call the police and say, look at this text. I think maybe, rolling the dice here, we might want to have a guy out here at 2. So the guy shows up at 2, the police are sitting you, what are you doing here? I'm going to go steal the TV, right? That would be very handy. It would be convenient for the police, keeps you from losing the TV. The thief doesn't have to worry about getting caught, he already is, right? But this never happens. So how do you make sure that a thief doesn't break into your house? You always keep your house ready and secure. You lock the door at night. Maybe you're like me and you've got a, a camera on the front door. Uh, maybe you have a security system. Uh, maybe you double check the locks. Uh, maybe you leave the lights on. Cause, or maybe you're one of those that, no, the light's on. That, that's a giveaway. You've got to turn the light off. I don't know what you do. But in order to prevent the guy from breaking in, you, know, you aren't ready just when he's breaking in. You're ready at all times so he can't break in. And Jesus is saying that's what it ought to be like for us knowing the Lord could return at any time. Therefore, we ought to always be ready since there's no way for us to just wait and wait and wait and only be ready at the moment of his return. If we had known when the Lord is returning, we would wait to serve the Lord till the day of his return. Since he is unknown, this means the principle coming out of this story from Jesus is this. We ought to always be ready. We ought to always be ready since his, his return uh, is unknown. Verse 44 of Matthew 24, therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus says here he's not mincing words, he's not using a figure of speech, he wants us to be what? Ready. It's very, he wants us to be ready, he wants us ready on that day. Wisdom starts with this, when we get, to, we're getting ready to get into the parable, wisdom starts with this. The groom, the return of the Lord is on a day I do not expect. As a result, the call is for me to be ready each day, knowing it's going to come on a day I don't expect. And like we said about those hotels, what we expect determines what we do. If I don't think he's going to come today, I'm going to do whatever I want to do today. If I expect his return any day, then that will inform my actions. Because my actions will be dictated by what I expect in regard to the Lord. And when is the Lord coming? It was the one thing we know about his return. It's coming when we don't expect. So if you woke up this morning and you expect him to return today, thanks, you ruined it for all of us. 
Now we can't come. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry about that. What do we expect? Here's what we need to understand. The Bible teaches is about the return of the Lord. It is unexpected. As a result, preparations must be made by the Lord's followers for the late groom. Preparations must be made by his followers for the fact that he is what? Delayed. Now, he is not delayed on the Father's timetable. He's delayed on whose timetable? Ours. Okay? But preparations ought to be made in our own heart and lives, recognizing he is delayed and he is not expected. Therefore, how should I live given the fact that he is delayed? What do you expect? The groom is unexpected. Now let's get into the parable. What do we expect? The virgins, the foolish virgins, prepared for the expected. The groom is unexpected, but the foolish virgins were prepared for an expected groom, a normal groom. And here's how we need to understand the preparations. Okay, look down Matthew 25, parable of the ten virgins. So the kingdom of heaven, he's illustrating with this parable something about the kingdom of heaven. This is a routine and normal wedding that you might expect during this time frame. Uh, the groom, the wedding would get kicked off when uh, the groom showed up and the groom sort of showed up uh, at his leisure, at an appropriate time to him. There were a number of things that might influence when he would show up. He wasn't just being rude. Uh, but the time the wedding started on the invitation says wedding this day. What time? When the groom shows up. And it's different for us. Our modern weddings, the, the weddings are focused a little bit more geared toward the bride. The groom shows up, and what happens in a wedding nowadays? Nothing. The bride shows up, and everybody stands up and stops what they're doing. Now, guys, I mean, that's a little unfair, don't you think? I mean, I mean, half the party is us, right? Okay, that's just the way it is. It's not the way it was back then. The party started when the groom showed up. And so this groom, so what they would do is they would come, and they'd be ready to wait, and they would light their lamps, and sometimes maybe... They would even light up down the avenue where he's coming and say, hey, he's coming. And they would light their lamps and light the way and then go in. And a huge party is going to go on. They're going to have the wedding and they're going to eat a big meal and they're going to drink a bunch of wine. They're going to dance the night away. It's going to be a great, great party. And so they would wait uh, for uh, the groom to come. And what we see in this parable, it's a parable of contrast. It says there are five foolish virgins and five wise virgins. There's a common contrast in the scripture wise and foolish. The wise virgins, what we see about these is they have brought an extra flask of oil with them for their lamps. Okay? The foolish virgins have only brought their lamps without any extra oil. So the difference here, what is we're looking at, who is prepared for the groom? And the groom is going to come, and they need to have their lamps ready to go. And the question is, which ones are prepared? Well, let's see what happens. What happens is it says in verse 5, the bridegroom was what? He was delayed. He didn't come at an expected time, and all ten of the virgins went to sleep, which is normal. They're getting their rest. This is going to be a great party. You want to have your rest. You want to be ready to eat, and you want to be ready to dance a little nap. doesn't hurt anybody at this point. So... No harm, no foul in taking a nap. But they woke up because the groom was there. And what time was it? It was midnight. It was unbelievable. This guy would never come at midnight. Say, for example, they set up a charity bet system for the wedding. You know, they're going to raise money to pay for the honeymoon. So what they do is 
Uh, the groom can come anywhere between noon and midnight. Everybody picks their spot. And you pay 20 bucks to buy your 15 minute slot of time. And if he comes during your slot of time, you get all the money, right? Who's going to pick midnight? Nobody. If they would have done that betting game, everybody would have lost because nobody would have picked midnight. At, at the end, when everybody's picked their 15-minute time slot, somebody would have said, who wants midnight? Like, no, grooms don't come at midnight. Don't be ridiculous. Nobody's picking midnight. This guy shows up at midnight delayed when he wasn't expected. That's the key comparison with the return of the Lord as we saw from Matthew chapter 24. So now we have two sets of virgins who have just woke up. Some have extra oil. Some do not have extra oil. All of them have lamps who, since the groom came at midnight, are the wise ones. The ones with the extra oil. And that's what happened. At midnight, there was a cry. The groom is here. They got their lamps ready. And the foolish one said to the ones with the extra oil, can we have a bit of your oil? And the wise one said, listen, if we share the oil, there won't be enough for any of us. You got to get your own oil. Go to Walmart. Or go to the dealer, I think it says in most translations. But go to, go to the store. They're open 24-7. Because there was a wedding going on, it would be very typical for a market to stay open when there's a big party going on like this. Go to the dealer, get your own oil, and come back. That's your problem. Okay? So they have extra oil. Those and the whole party goes in, and the doors are closed. And when the foolish virgins finally return with enough oil, the doors are closed and not allowed in. So wisdom here, we have wisdom of the, the wise virgins, and we have the foolishness of the fool, foolish virgins. Here is this. The foolish virgins were prepared for the groom to come at his expected hour. Had the groom come at a normal time, what would the difference have been between the virgins? There would have been no difference. They all would have just gone in. The only difference is the wise virgins would be packing around an extra tank of oil for no apparent reason. Because the groom was delayed, it makes clear who is wise and who is foolish. Because of the delay, the wise virgins are made known for who they are. Because of their preparedness for the delay. Had the groom come at a regular time, there would have been no difference between the virgins. In fact, I might suggest this. Had the groom come on time, the wise virgins would have been the ones who appeared foolish. Why are you packing around that extra oil? But because of his delay, the character of their heart and their, prayer, their preparedness was revealed. The delay of the groom is that which provides the contrast between the wise and the foolish. Without the delay, all of them are similarly prepared. With the delay, the wise are made known. So, since the return of the Lord... The when of the return of the Lord is completely unknown. We must be prepared for a delayed return, and we must prepare for whatever may occur between now and the unexpected return. Does that make sense? In or, since his return is delayed, does everybody agree he's late? You're afraid to say it, right? We're in church. Well, I don't know that we're allowed to. The Bible says he's late, and according, not according to him, but according to us. All of us would have taken it by now, okay? What happened in 1991? I graduated high school, young whippersnapper. Also, we invaded Iraq. You remember that? Operation Desert Storm. 
General Schwarzkopf, Storm and Norman. You remember that guy? I mean, we had T-shirts with Storm and Norman, right? Yeah, what were the churches doing back then? Oh, man, we were freaking out. We were tearing roofs off a building because we were returned, worried the Lord would return. We hit our head on the way out. I mean, conflict in the Middle East, he's coming tomorrow. I mean, we were freaking out. And don't pretend like we weren't, right? And some of you, no, we weren't. We were pretty measured. No, we weren't. Look up 1991, number of Return of the Lord books published. You probably can't even keep track of how many. Is there conflict in the Middle East? Yes. Does it involve oil and sand? Yes. Okay, the Lord's coming. I mean, we just, we just went nuts. But, so we, but the fact is, we don't know when it is. And since we don't know when it is, the job is to be prepared for the unknown when and to be prepared for the unknown between now and the unknown when. So let me just be honest with you. The mission of of those of us who serve here at FBC, those of us on staff as ministers, and the mission of the elders of this church is really just one thing. And do you know what it is? We want the people of this church ready for that day and anything that might occur between now and then. And that's why we don't spend a lot of time talking about a lot of stuff that a lot of people are talking about. There's a whole bunch of stuff we talk about all day long, which has nothing to do with being ready for what's going to occur on that day and what's going to occur between now and that day. And if I'm reading the Bible right, the between now and that day gets a little crazy. I've summarized it this way. It gets, it gets worse before it gets better. So are we in our hearts ready for the fact that day is going to be further away than we want it to be? And are we prepared to be faithful to the Lord for that day, knowing the what between now and then might be, might be would be in air quotes, really, really challenging. Have you guys read how the book ends? It gets kind of gnarly. And there's good days and there is bad days, but we have to be prepared and, the, and what's clear from this a parable, the call is for us not to merely be prepared on that day, since we don't know what day that is. We need to be prepared for today to be that day, or to be prepared to endure whatever God might bring our way today, so that we're ready tomorrow. Wisdom is found in the preparation for something that is unknown. The extra flask of oil that the foolish ones probably made fun of. So one more observation before we wrap this up. The wisdom of the wise virgins looked like foolishness until what day? That day. Until the groom showed up, that extra flask of oil looked really, really silly. No groom comes at midnight. You're not going to need that silly oil. You're going to be packing that around all night. How are you going to dance? with an extra flask of oil in your hand, right? But on that day at midnight when the groom comes late, all of a sudden that extra flask of oil looks really, really wise. And so we need to pay attention to that. Preparing and being ready for that day, for the most part, for the casual observer, might appear foolish. Look at verse 13 of the parable. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So first of all, if somebody tells you what day the Lord is returning, read this verse to them. Watch, therefore, uh, you don't know the day uh, or the hour. Secondly, it says to us to watch. When does a watchman stop watching? When what he's watching for has come. And until that moment, he keeps watching. 
This is a call to constant preparedness for the day of the Lord and to endure until that day. So what do we do? We think about what has the Lord called me to do? What does faithfulness look like to the Lord today if his return were today? What ought I to do? What I should I say no to? What should I believe? What should I say? Who should I serve? If today might be today, if today might be that day, how then will I live knowing it could come at any time? All right, turn with me to Titus chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. We're going to wrap it up with this. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Many of you might have this uh, verse committed to memory, especially if you went through Awana. Here's what it says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for his good works. I love this section of scripture because it describes in many ways the entirety of the Christian life. Look how it starts in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. You might think of that as our, when you got saved, the, your conversion. When you said, Lord, I trust you for forgiveness of my sins because Jesus died on the cross and is risen from the grave. So verse 11 is that moment in time where you say, Lord, I, I am saved. But then our salvation continues in verse 12. Look what it says. What does it mean to live saved, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So we are called to be saved by putting our faith in Christ for forgiveness. And then he calls us to live saved, being trained in righteousness to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to obedience to serve others and the Lord. And so that's the Christian life. You receive the Lord through faith, and then we live being trained in righteousness. And then what do we look forward to as Christians? That final component of our salvation. Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Get saved. Live saved, trained in righteousness, and finally one day glorified in Christ. Has that happened to you yet? Not to anybody here. Like I say, yeah, you know, I mean, you look great, don't get me wrong, but you're not glorified yet. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if we were to see someone that God had made glorified on that day, we would be tempted to worship them because we are made in God's image, and on that day we will be glorified in Christ. So we are saved, and we live saved, trained in righteousness, and finally on that day we are glorified in Christ. So since we are in Christ, how do we prepare for the unexpected return of him on that day is to live in the heart of verse 12 of Titus chapter 2, training ourselves to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And it sounds boring. One of the ways that we need to be prepared for the, for the day of the Lord is to learn by the power of the Spirit to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Okay, and I'm going to give you a tip, and you may not like this. It is okay. It's not legalistic. It is okay for you when you go in to do your pet sin, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Don't tell me, please. 
When you go in, you've got this thing you do, and if everybody knew, you'd be ashamed of it, and you're going in, and this pet sin is coming. It is okay for you to say, you know what? What if he came back? I don't think that's what I want to be doing. That's, I mean, that's one of the calls here. You say, you know what? On the day he returns, it would be glorious grace of his that he might find us with our hands to the plow, working for his kingdom and not engaging in unrighteousness. Now, he is gracious and merciful, is he not? I mean, that's not going to keep us out of heaven. But, the, but it's okay for us to say in our hearts, we don't know when his return is. And my prayer would be that on the day of his return, he might find me busy about his business not busy about the pursuits of my flesh. So one of the ways we pursue readiness is to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, knowing that one day we will experience uh, His glory. Second thing we might need to understand about preparedness is this. What do I believe more? The circumstances and realities of this life or the realities of His return? Like I said, the the wise virgins look foolish until the day the groom shows up at midnight. And right now, this world is telling us how to find our hope and peace in this world. It's through uh, successful work. It's through accumulation of wealth. It is through uh, exciting vacations. It is through having right and well-connected friends. It is through having a satisfying and enjoyable family. All of these things are good. None of these things are eternal. And one of the ways we are prepared is to keep things in their right lane and to pursue our hope and peace in the kingdom of God, not in the things and circumstances of this this world. The, The foolish virgin said, I can pursue my own ends, and then when the Lord returns, I'll pursue his ends. And the wise virgins are saying, I will pursue the Lord's ends, even to the detriment of my own personal desires, knowing the kingdom is greater on the day that it might be ushered, ushered in. We might ask ourselves this question. When the Lord returns, will he find me serving others or will he find me serving myself? When the Lord return, returns, will he find me serving his kingdom or will he find me serving my own ends? I want to give you three ways to be unprepared. I'm always trying to give you tips. Here you go. Three ways to be unprepared. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. I can be unprepared for the return of the Lord by saying to myself, I can get saved whenever. I can seek the Lord whenever. Someone who is younger might say this, you know what? Religion is really good for old people. I want to live my life. I want to get my work done. I want to do my thing, have my fun. And when I'm retired, I'm going to get myself some good church friends. Get myself some good old-fashioned religion. I'll spend my retirement religious because there's not much else to do, right? No, I'm kidding. You know, some of you are going, what are you talking about? You say retirement's busier than ever. But this is what people say. When I'm done living my life, I'll get myself some religion. That's a great way to be unprepared. When is that day going to come? Well, we don't know. How can you be so certain that the Lord is going to wait until you retire? Did he check in with you? When, when are you going to retire? I'll wait until then. I want to make sure you get your fun in. I'm sure he's very concerned about that. One of the ways to be unprepared is to say, you know what? I'll get saved a little bit later on. Right now, I got some things I I want to do. And seeking the Lord is going to get in the way of that. That's a great way to be unprepared and for the Lord to come unexpected. And another great way to be unprepared is to recognize life is hard. Anybody agree life is hard sometimes? 
Weekdays and weekends, other than that, it's fine. Life is hard, so therefore, we do the math, so therefore he isn't coming, or he doesn't care, or he doesn't exist. So another way to be prepared is to decide, since life is hard, since life brings things I don't understand, since life brings hardship, therefore he's not coming, or therefore he doesn't care, or therefore he doesn't exist. And the Bible tells us the opposite. Since life is an endurance race, that is assurance that one day we will see him. Finally, another way to be not prepared is to say he's not coming, so therefore I can do whatever I want. I'll serve myself and others. The delay of the Lord serves this purpose. It reveals and contrasts the wise and the foolish. The wise are prepared for the Lord at any time. The foolish are hoping it's not today. 